You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Grace Kingston, a multidisciplinary conceptual artist. Thematically, Grace looks at notions of connectedness, intimacy, identity, and how they manifest themselves in our everyday lives in the spaces and environments we occupy. These works often manifest themselves as installation, sculpture, textile and photographic work, or some combination of those mediums. Grace has exhibited in New York, Finland and Germany. In Australia, Grace has had works in various exhibitions, including the Blake Prize for Religious Art. In some of her art making, Grace explores the experience of the natural environment and how this might be transported and reimagined within more artificial and constructed environments, such as those mediated by technology and social media. Due to the visual nature of Grace's artworks, you might like to check out some images while listening to this episode. Grace's website is gracekingston.com where you can find many of the artworks that are discussed, as well as a link to her Instagram account. Here's my conversation with Grace Kingston. So thanks for meeting with us, Grace. Um, where are we? We're in Auburn Botanical Gardens. We're just next to the Japanese gardens after having filmed some beautiful koi fish in the water. Um, I guess that's why you can probably hear some birds, some crickets, all that kind of stuff. Oh, so yeah, the cicadas. Cicadas, yeah. yeah. It's pretty hot day today. It's pretty, it's pretty sweaty. <laughs> it's nice though. Very good. So, I've been looking through some of the uh, some of your artwork and oh. some of your stuff. You've got a whole heap of stuff online. What do you like? I liked the moss, mm-hmm. and I liked the um, I like the drop pins. Those drop pins. Yeah, you like that one? That yeah. was a fun show. That's called um, Here You Are. Oh yep. Here, yep. here, there it is. Yeah. Here you are. Yeah. So you've been, you've, you've exhibited in Australia. You've exhibited and worked overseas as well. Yeah. Um, could you give us a background? Like where, where did it all begin? Where did you, like, did you study art or did you, you know? Yeah, I've done all my study at, um, used to be called Kofa. Now it's UNSW Art and Design. Um, so I did the the three year bachelor or the four year because I did honours. Um, and then I got first class honours and I did a master's, which took two years, master's by research. Oh, yep. Yeah. And so what sort of, um, I mean, what, what, what was the process like in terms of like the undergraduate side of things? Um, well, I focused on painting and drawing, which is a bit funny because it's, I never paint and draw anymore. It's sort of the opposite of my practice almost these days. Um, is that like a is that like a standard when you go to art school? I think sometimes. Um, I mean, I saw some people at art school that it was interesting that seemed to basically do the same old paintings over and over, over and over for three years, which I thought was wild. Like for me, I think when you're doing an undergraduate degree, like that's the time for experimentation. Like you don't have to have a sort of um, fully realised. Um, an aesthetic direction yet, if that makes sense. Whereas I think some people think they do need to straight off the bat have a uh, a look, a scene, that kind of thing. But yeah, my work was a lot more experimental during the undergrad time. So when when you kind of, um, I'm assuming you were doing artwork and creative work in earlier, like in high school, etc. Yeah, yeah. And so was there a, a moment in your undergraduate um, study where, you, like, did you have a breakout? Um, 
artwork that was kind of representative of what you would do um, after that point? Like, to, Yeah. Um, I think definitely for me around second year when we started talking about materiality and how materiality informs concept. Um, what's, what is, what's materiality? Um, so say when you're doing a painting or a drawing, you might, the traditional way would be to just do it on canvas, on paper, um, but sometimes you can work with the material itself to inform your concept. For example, say you're doing, um, say you're doing uh, an artwork based on environmentalism, anti-plastic, that kind of thing. You could do a painting of a bunch of plastic bags, or you could use plastic bags as a medium themselves to make a work with. And I think generally using that medium or that media itself it makes us for a sort of more conceptually strong work, I guess. So what did, what did you do in your, in your artwork? What, did, what material did you use? Well, um, I focused a lot on portraiture and that kind of thing in my earlier works, um, which I think has sort of led into the kind of conceptual fields I'm interested in now, which is sort of about identity, about self-representation and that kind of thing. But, but in terms of the materiality though, yeah. like, like did you use like not, not canvases or not, yeah. not paper? Yeah, so um, I did end up working on fabric a bit, which I've come back to now. Um, I've always been a sewer since childhood, embroiderer, knitter, my whole family. Is, um, well, all the women in my family have always been about sort of like handcrafts and that kind of thing. So um, I think I had, this, I had a kind of dark breakout work maybe that was um that sounds interesting yeah it was it was the first artwork i sold actually as well which is kind of cool it was um about you know the john bonnet ramsey murder oh i saw something yeah. about that recently yeah. yeah apparently someone's actually finally come forward and is claiming the yeah. murder but but um, yo i do remember that case yeah so i did um i was thinking about that really iconic photo of her, the sort of mm. um, little, um, little what, beauty like queen kind beauty of thing. Queen. So I did a painting, um, a sort of slightly abstracted portrait, that portrait um, on children's fabric, like on like a pink kind of cottony, florally fabric and then embroidered on top of that and I made it into a bean bag, just to sort of, I guess talk about the sort of commodification of her and the sort of almost mythos of this like strange case. This beauty queen kid that really captured, I guess, a lot of people's interests for a while. Oh, then. yeah, worldwide and interest. Still, yeah. Um, so I felt that um, making a sort of beanbag out of her was um, a bit, a little bit crass, I guess, but yeah. interesting. But I mean, obviously, it had an impact. It did have an impact, and I think a lot of people were a bit confronted by it, and, um, and I guess I liked that reaction at the time. I'm a bit less provocative these days I guess conceptually um, but yeah that was that and you, was but, and you sorry that was sort of like the start of I think one of the earliest seeds that's led into the work I've been doing the last few years yeah you seem um, from what I saw you the fabric seems to be a, um, a common, a common yeah. thread yeah. <laughs> um, so you said that you did first uh, uh, like first class honours or master, went on to do a master's. Yeah, after honours. Um, clearly you did some study initially, but then you wanted to extend that. So what that phase that followed, the master's phase, if, yeah. um, if you like, uh, what, what sort of work were you producing? Well, I sort of changed directions um, most significantly in my honours year. Because, I mean, while I was working with like interesting materials and experimenting with that, 
during my undergraduate, I was still doing, I guess, essentially painting, painting on stuff. And then during my honours year, I had a really um, impactful supervisor called Joan Ross. You might know Joan's stuff. Um, and she was an installation artist and she really pushed me to go further. And then suddenly during my honours year, I made a giant, a proper installation using a bunch of different materials, sculpture, wallpaper, um, bit of video, all kinds of things. It was like completely different from the stuff I was doing during the previous three years of my undergraduate. And, and what sort of themes did that explore? Well, the first big install I did was about body modification in general. Um, we'll just, we'll just uh, receive was, our, our water, thank yeah, you. <laughs> which interested me at the time. Um, I was also running a small gallery space in Enmore at a piercing shop called Polymorph. So I guess it's where the body oh, mod yeah. stuff um, sort of interplayed with that. And I used some of the guys who worked there also as models for that honours work. And so <clears throat> what? Um, when you finished up your study, mm-hmm. were, were you already... Well, you already had links with um, an ex- exhibition space, but were you were kind of looking out for other, other kind of... Um, horizons like things to did you already have plans in other words oh um after my masters I went and did a residency which was really good to have something on the horizon after you finish because there's a bit of a like oh now what do I do once you've finished your big long masters that you've been working on for two years so then I went to Finland Finland yeah and what was that like it was amazing I feel like Finland um is where the sort of moss obsession started <laughs> we'll find out more about this moss obsession, but yeah. um, like I guess what um, yeah. So what what was Finland like? Finland is beautiful. The place I was staying as well was like quite remote. Um, like I spent a little bit of time in Helsinki, but mostly I was at this residency, which is in Hamnkuro, which is like about half an hour out of Tampere, which is um, it's sort of like it's, it's pretty rural. So there was. The artist place, the residency itself, was surrounded by this fabulous fairy tale forest with like all these giant different colours, mosses and lichens. It was like springy, dappled light, like actual fairy tale. What sort of season are um, we talking? Oh yeah, I was there in about spring the first time. I went back later and did a summer with um, those crazy like three hour nights as well. Um, so good. completely different to what you'd been used to. Yes, completely the opposite of Australia. Like temperate, um, like I keep saying fairy tale, but it is. There's really no other way to describe it. It's I think a, I know what you mean. Like yeah. the kind of light environment is is what we would have been brought up with In, as a visual. Yes, exactly right. And um, I feel like even as a kid, I wanted to do all the like. I sort of wanted to do it like the princesses, the heroines were doing like wandering into the forest, the Snow Whites, that kind of thing. And they could always like lie around and interact with it. But when you're a kid in Australia, you know, like you try and wander into the bush and you're like, oh, I'm getting bitten by something. Oh, it's all spiky and horrible. Well, like, looking <laughs> around us now, yeah, I can see all these gum trees and all these um, Australian ravens or crows. And, yeah. Um, they don't, it's kind of, yeah, it's a quite a harsh environment here yeah yeah whereas over in Finland it's I would imagine I've never been but I would imagine it's delightful it is especially in summer yes very beautiful 
And so how long were you there for? Uh, the first time I went there, I was there for a month. I went back a year or two later and did a two month after that. Oh, uh, yep. So yeah. you, you, it sounds as though you were reasonably inspired by what you found there, yeah. what you experienced there. Yeah, definitely. So for those unenlightened um, amongst us, mm-hmm. what is, what's, you mentioned mosses and lichens, what are, what are they, what, what, we know what moss is, yeah. but what's lichen? Oh, well, um, I should definitely know that after you've told me a bit about lichen. <laughs> <laughs> we know that lichen is um, not just one organism, it's two, it's, it's a fungi and an algae working um, in a sort of codependent way. And so, where do you, where do you typically find it? Um, you can find lichen anywhere. You can find it in Antarctica, actually, even. Um, you can find it in some of the harshest environments on Earth, which I think... But is it like a kind of... Does it grow out of the soil, or what is it? No, it's sort of a scaly surface thing. Often you get it on rocks, sometimes you get it on trees and bark and that kind of thing as well. Um, I was actually reading a book recently that Saul let me, which was cool, called, um, I think it's The Secret Life of Trees. Have you heard about that one? Ah, right. No, I haven't. Okay. It was, and then that mentioned lichen? Yeah, well they talked about, it's by a German author, and he's a forester, um, and he talks a lot about the forests he manages and that kind of thing. Um, he talks about the sort of almost like social interrelationships between trees, plants, lichens, and all the things that sort of come with trees in the forest. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very interesting, especially when you get to the fungi part and how the, sort of, the fungi's and trees have a relationship, like sometimes they're codependent in a sort of nice way. Um, sometimes they you know, attack the tree if there's like a break and that kind of thing. Oh, like mistletoe or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, like a um, parasitic relationship? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people have heard of like the wood wide web now with the sort of... What's that? Uh, where trees sort of communicate with each other via a fungal network. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, underneath the ground often. So. If we go back to Finland in our thoughts, what, yeah. what was it? You, you kind of experienced this this quite unusual, different environment, and then you were inspired by the mosses and the lichen. So, mm. what sort of creative work did that generate? Um, the first time I went there, I did something. Uh, I sort of did a few experimental bits and pieces. I got some of the removed some of the moss almost like an animal pelt and sort of dried it out and cut them out and make shades of them and that kind of thing. Um, but I also got a butter knife and carved into some of the moss and lichen on the rocks and, the, and that kind of thing and made like a sort of reverse stencil. So what was that about? Like why? What sort of symbols? Um, what, what, would, what drove you or what were you trying <laughs> to explore? Or um, I was thinking about the sort of interesting juxtaposition with um, the symbols and stuff I was carving into the moss was things like like was like um the twitter symbol sort of social media online uh symbols and terms and that kind of thing i thought it was just a sort of fun juxtaposition to find it in somewhere so old and ancient and i think that also started to get me thinking about um the sort of the way we sort of commodify nature make little Instagram sound bites of nature, which is actually sort of where I've gone with the the moss sort of pillow works, the soft sculptures. <laughs> little birdie. <laughs> Noisy birdie. <laughs> um, so that that time in Finland, it sounds as though it um, 
started something that you're still actively working with. Yeah, and the second time I went back, um, I sort of drove, dove into it further, which is where the first little moss pillows came from. I did a show after that at, um, at uh, a gallery in Newtown um, that explored it called Deep Solitude. It might be in that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was, that was a very interesting and personal work, and I really liked the sort of aesthetic direction just going in with all the green and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was quite like, it was just a bit of a, it was a tough time in my life. It was my Saturn Returns, about 27, 28. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I sort of, I was thinking about, I think I'd just been through a very big breakup and also my mum's dementia was like properly, properly kicking in then. And I was thinking about being really alone in the world. I guess that's why the, the Deep Solitude yeah. title came up. So without going into all of the, uh, you know, complex details, what is this Saturn return? <laughs> what is a Saturn return? Yeah, oh. how old is one when their the Saturn return happens? I think it's about, I think they say about 27 to 29, maybe 26 to 28. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what happens or what, you know? A bit of a, just a quarter life crisis, existential crisis. Who am I? What am I doing? I thought I'd be further along in life by now or doing something different. Oh yeah, they were all good questions. Yeah, but I think um, people often find that those kind of questions are more prominent around that age, maybe. Yeah, well that Before makes sense. Before you sort of like just barreling through life and you're something like, oh. Who am I? Very soon, who am I? What am I doing? Yeah, yeah. what's my place in the world? <laughs> You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So we're definitely surrounded by crows. Yes, <laughs> they're making their presence known. Yes, so I want to, um, I think it might be nice if we explored some of your conceptual threads and how they work with some of the arts that you have developed or are, de are developing at the moment. Mm -hmm. So what sort of, what is a conceptual thread or, you know, how does that all work? Well, I mean, artwork, I guess, is just visual philosophy, right? So strong artworks at least have more than just a, more than just a pretty picture. They have a conceptual element to it. They're trying to say something, express something. So, yeah, I guess that's what... I mean by conceptual thread. <laughs> and so what sort of, you mentioned some of them earlier in mm. your, um, you know, when you were studying and when you were, some of your earlier artworks that yeah. you developed. Um, so have you defined what kind of ideas and themes that you, you really enjoy working with? Yeah, I mean, my work sort of, you were talking about the, earlier the sort of journey from undergraduate to masters to now kind of thing. A lot and I said um, I started off doing sort of portraiture and that kind of thing. Um, I started doing a lot of work around the body in my earlier stuff. I did some interesting, perhaps a bit risque works. And then I've sort of slowly moved away from the body um, and more about the environment that the body's housed in these days. Like, like what? Like the environment that people live in? Or? Yeah, or the environment people make for themselves, so I guess both online and real environments in okay, that sense. Okay, so that's very interesting because it is kind of, you know, um, we're living in changing times and yeah. we're becoming increasingly electronic with our, you know, our place in the world. Yeah. Or, you know, surrounded by all this kind of day-to-day -day, yeah. um, media, electronics, technology, 
I think I'm interested especially in the sort of um, uh, the authorial process that goes into that. So the idea of like a curated self, a curated environment that we sort of are making for ourselves more and more um, these days. So what we what, what we like to surround ourselves with. Yeah, and what we like to um, project about ourselves, like how we see ourselves and how we make a sort of more curated identity these days, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. perfect sense. This actually... The Cordley Essay? We were talking about the Cordley Essay <laughs> that I um, was reading earlier about mm. the inner life and in the digital age. I, I mean, yeah. it's kind of, it's definitely a, um, a current topic. Yeah. Um, I think one writer, I mean, a few writers inspired me and Catherine Hales and all the post-humanist peeps and that kind of thing. Um, but particularly also Sherry Turkle, have you heard of her? No. She's an MIT professor. Um, she did a, a really interesting book called Alone Together, why we're relying more on technology and less on each other, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, so it's this sort of idea of a mediated the Mediated stuff, yeah, 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 correct. She started researching, uh, well doing research in the early 90s on um, gamers when that was a, an emerging thing, MMORGs, that kind of stuff. Um, and in her earlier stuff, it was just quite positive about that kind of thing, and talked about how gamers often use that, um, that as a platform, like the characters they have, to sort of explore things that they may not have the opportunity to in the real world, and that was fun. But she's sort of gotten a bit more, maybe a bit more conservative as she's gotten older, or at least she's, she's a lot less positive about, um, about our online selves these days. I think particularly since we stopped playing a character, say like an online game, instead of playing like the character of ourself on Facebook, if that makes sense. And like the increasing, the gap between the self that we show people and, and curate and create for ourselves online and who we really are um, is obviously quite a big gap there and that can be sort of distressing as people come to see that. Does that make sense? Um, just to clarify, it kind of, I, I'm kind of following. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just curious as to why um, the, her, her earlier work or you know what what, what kind of um did she go more negative or, or darker territory is that what you're saying or? um she just has changed her opinion on i guess our online lives and whether they're a good thing or not she's saying oh, so not she so used much to say day. she used to think it was okay or, yeah because you know, you're exploring yeah part yeah. of yourself or mm. i guess it's kind of um that idea of online gaming Clearly, that avatar or the persona is yeah. not a, not a human, or you know, it's not. It can't it's not be confused. Real. It's yeah. not real. Whereas, I think I take your point with yeah. Facebook, etc. You're making your your perfect avatar of self. Yeah, and people that don't know you might actually think that that is you, or you know. I mean, or, I, think, I don't know. I guess it gets complicated. Yeah, I think these days, as everyone is like doing their own sort of own self curation online and that kind of thing, everyone knows the process so I guess no one would take it too too seriously but I guess we do though it's we well just it is very complicated very it's complicated. very um potentially confronting because it is um you know especially with um emerging like young people growing up or mm. you know people that, those whose selves are emerging yeah she talks about them a lot in that book at the same time as all this other kind of um I'm trying to think of a nice way to phrase it, like a kind of um, fake, fake kind of, yeah. um, or, or pretend, um, 
glamorous, overly glamorous. But, mm. but I guess it's kind of, you know, people would have an innate drive to present themselves in a positive way to yeah. others. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, also sort of what she touches on. Um, how she talks about people being less and less um, able perhaps to go through some of the more or deal with more negative emotions or more negative aspects of life because we feel this pressure to present a perfect self and oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah and obviously like you know we're sharing our achievements we're not sharing well not often sharing our, our failures or our griefs yeah I mean that's you only have to look at somebody's um, Facebook or Instagram feed to exactly see right that type of phenomenon so, so we'll, oh yeah you go oh <laughs> <laughs> um, so with uh, coming into that so the the smaller works I've been doing for a while um, Little, I call them mossies. Little moss, yeah, little mossies. Little mossies. Um, so mossies are, are little, I guess, soft sculptures or little pillows. Um, I was thinking about how I could make an object that sort of personifies, uh, I guess, a sort of Instagram version of nature, if you know what I mean. So I've taken photos of nature. I've edited them. I've um, turned up the colour. I've mashed photos together so it's, it's all very perfect. Um, I've also recorded usually uh, where the sounds that are happening around where that lichen or moss is that I've taken a photo of and I put that recording within it so you press it and it makes a sound. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make an object that's like a little perfected version of the nature, you know? There's no, yeah. there's no sunburn, there's no ants biting you, it's just... Ouch! It's just, yeah. <laughs> there is an ant that yeah. just bit me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, it's only the pretty parts of nature which... Um, Curated nature, I guess, is what I'm going with. So this is kind those of, objects. again, this was inspired by your time in Finland initially? Yeah. And you've kind of explored it and expanded upon it? Yeah, I think I was just attracted to moss in a sort of, um, what a, what's the art term for it? Uh, in a sort of, um, just, just instinctually. In an instinctual way, or something about it. Um, I sort of almost like admire these like lower life forms and how hardy they are and how they can grow absolutely everywhere. Um, and even like I was saying, reading reading that book um, about how they can sort of land places, but not they're not hurting the tree. They're not. Um, yeah, they're like yeah. opportunists in a way. Yeah, but they're just sort of sitting on top, as opposed to like fungi and stuff, which can be quite intrusive and actually kill the tree eventually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like they're kind of just sitting there doing their thing and they're, yeah. they're kind of resilient. Yeah, there's just a tiny bit of light, and yet, that's about it. And so you saw them and I guess was there a, was there a drive to kind of want to share them, like like an Instagram post or yeah. something like Yeah, especially I guess when I was in Finland um, and being so attracted to the knowing, obviously we live in Australia, we can't take any natural things back with us. Oh yeah, but yeah. there's lichen, there's lots of Australian lichen and moss. Yeah, but um, I sort of wanted to see if I, what kind of object I could, I could take home. Like, as a, like, obviously I can't take real moss with me, so. So you photographed lots so of photos? Lots of photos, which led to the printing on fabric. Um, yeah, I like. the creation of the object. I like the idea that it's a, it's a tangible, physical object yeah. that people can actually experience. Yes, yes. Yet somehow, the, um. It's <laughs> supposed to be, uh, I it's guess. not quite, it's not quite, yeah. doesn't quite ring true. Uncanny Valley, kind of. Oh yeah, what is that? What's Uncanny Valley? Uncanny Valley, um. I've heard that phrase before. Well, you're a filmmaker, you probably. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, you know, it's more for people listening. Yeah, true. Um, Uncanny Valley, uh, how do I explain it properly? 
um, when something's just a bit off, almost doll-like, not quite real. So it looks real and it seems real, but, but there's a little inkling that it's not quite real. Yeah, and there's an uneasiness there that I think is interesting um, and interesting to, I guess, force my viewers into experiencing with the work as well. Yeah, I guess that's, that is a very current um, concept with filmmaking and, you know, in terms of 3D animation or even when you're kind yeah. of wrapping, wrapping a kind of photograph over a piece of video to yeah. get somebody put words into somebody's mouth that they never actually said yeah that type of thing it's all kind of there's lots of developments in that area yeah and so i guess back to back to your um mossy mossies mm. what you, you kind of took all these photos and then you created these little pillows and then you had them as an exhibition yep and so what sort of response did you get i got a really positive one people love them they're like um i guess they're attracted to them because they are quite beautiful visually um, and they are a bit interesting to hold. I especially wanted to make sure that the sound was not too loud and as the sound box is like within the stuffing I wanted to make it so that people had to hold it up to their ears sort of like a seashell and have that sort of like intimate very intimate, intimate touch with it if that makes sense. Yeah so once yeah. you're sort of like leading them in and getting them to inter interact with the object yeah. in, a, in a really in intimate way. Yeah I guess interact with my um, my vision of what that place was, yeah. if that makes sense, my sort of curated version of it. But, but, but yes, it's kind of, it's almost like um, they're never going to get there. They're never going to experience that true moss from Finland because yeah. they're not in Finland. Yeah. And yet this object has travelled all the way. Yeah, and I've been doing some ones at Clavellian in Australia too, so I guess they could experience that um, <laughs> third city, but... Yeah, I just, I find them quite beautiful visually. People like the sort of, um, the collecty vibe with it, if you know what I mean. Like The what vibe? Collecty, sort of like, people like to, people like to like arrange them in little bits of like, um, teams of like three, say, and that kind of thing, almost like. And they can gold. do that in the, in the, in, in the, the kind of, in the yeah, space. Yeah, because you're encouraged to touch and interact with them, so. Yeah, and, and then, people did, they wanted to stack them, they wanted to like, they loved it. They made their own little curated scene with the little curated objects, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was fun. And then you've extended that idea into actual wearables as well. Yeah, yeah, recently I did that, um, I did a collaboration with Alexis Eclectic, um, which is a label based in Orange, my friend Alexis. Um, so what sort of, what things were generated? What sort of... We did objects or garments. We did uh, ten different looks. Um, we did three. Well, we did three main patterns. So we did like a really bright green pillowy moss, um, and these are all photos I took around Orange, around her place as well. Um, we did a sort of grey brackney lichen print, and we also did um, a sort of more aqua turquoise, like turquoisey and yellow lichen print as well. And then what, they're the, they're the images, but yeah. then what, what did they, what were the garments? Oh, the garments, okay. So we paired them with three colours. We paired them with like a, a eucalyptus green, a black and a dusty pink. And then we made um, shirts, pants, dresses. We, I did a, a hand embroidered cape as well, where I made like quite sort of like chunky embroidered representations of that kind of brackness 
lichen, which is cool. Um, yeah, um, what else do we do with it? We also had a scarf. We, I made the scarf from photos of lichen I took at Casula because the, the show was at Casula itself, so I wanted to bring it back to that space as well, um, which Casula really liked, I think, mm. so yeah. So just talking about the, um, this idea of virtual worlds and real worlds mm. and that type of thing, mm. you had an exhibition a while back that was related to like where are you like drop that drop pin yeah, idea yeah, here you are. Yep. could you talk us through that so that one um that one i was interested in was, i think that was when i was starting to move away from the body and more into environments um and i was thinking about uh i guess online versus real version ideas of place so at the time, check-ins, remember check-ins on Facebook? Yes. They just became a thing. Like so a, what was the one where you could become the mayor? The mayor of oh, Foursquare. Yeah. Oh, no, was it? Oh. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of, yeah, it was, um, I think check-ins came in as a reaction to that kind of thing. Yeah, but that idea that you're kind of in a, in a particular area and then you're letting people know yeah. where you are. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. I mean, we all know that um, all our images all our sort of the places we've been are being tracked and geotagged anyway but um what are the places people want to tell people that they're at like no one's checking into the kitchen no one's checking no. into the post office they're the checking I, in at the, the cool IGA bar like, yeah yeah <laughs> um so this one i worked with a program a friend of mine nick um and he helped me out i was interested in data mining from a specific area so i chose i knew the gallery space was that i wanted to be at so i chose that spot and we did like a um a kilometre around, so I wanted to get check-ins only from a kilometre around the gallery, if that makes sense. Um, and I made three sort of different strains of work from that, because there's sort of three elements to a check-in. There's like a textual one, um, sometimes a visual one, people put up a photo, and um, of course the the actual place that they're checking into. So, um, And they, they could decide where they were going to check in? Yeah, I mean I didn't, I could only mine from my Facebook friends, I couldn't mine from the general population. Um, I didn't tell my Facebook friends that they were going to get data mined, but um, the results I got um, were, you know, made them anonymous anyway. But um, yeah, I had uh, quite a lot of interesting stuff. So what was, a popular, what was a popular spot that they all seemed to check in? Well, this is what this one is actually about. So um, this is the main middle installation was a series of drop pins um, and they, I lifted them a centimetre off the ground per check-in. Oh yeah, so, so the, what's this high one then? The high one is the uh, courthouse. Oh yes, in yeah, Newtown? In Newtown, which is right <laughs> near the gallery at the time. So very trendy. Uh, very trendy, yeah. <laughs> I took a selfie at the three most checked in places, which was unsurprisingly all bars. Oh, so the courthouse? The courthouse, um, Zanzibar when Birdcage is on, which is um, a ladies night kind of thing on Wednesdays, and also the town hall. Wow. Yeah, and then I printed the selfies Social demographer or... You know. Yeah, <laughs> I printed the selfies on glass because I wanted to sort of... Um, and then I, you know, edited them so it sort of looked like an Instagram filter and had that like little border and that kind of thing. I wanted them to seem like... To seem like what they are, like blown up versions of what you might see on Instagram. So that's why the glass, like you'd usually see those images through the glass of your phone. So. Yeah. Yeah. So very, um, I guess, interactive where the person... It's in a space... Yeah. The, 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 the artwork, I mean, it's not yeah. just something that's hanging on a wall. The people yeah. can walk around it and sort of um, interact with it. Interact with it. Everyone really liked the LED sign too, which I thought was fun. 
Um, so the LED sign I had scrolling through just um, the text that came with the check-ins, um, and they sort of made it um, uh, made it a little bit more absurd, I guess. I purposely chose like quite ugly fonts, contrasting colours, and that kind of thing. Um, and they'd say Crass things kind of crass kind of stuff yeah and they'd say things things that obviously made no sense once they were taken away from the original context which was the check-in itself so like bam or chilling with my homies or like all that yeah um so that was quite fun people were really really attracted to it as well like just i can i think we sort of instinctually like the bright flashy colors and that kind of thing um i should mention as well i got some money from marriageville council to do this work i got three grand artist grant which was nice um, because it was focusing specifically on the Marrickville area. Um, yes, which is how I could afford my beautiful LED sign and my prints on glass, that kind of thing. <laughs> You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So, I mean, it's clear that you've done, you've got a, a, a certain type of artwork that you like to develop. It's not something that you just hang on the wall. It's something yeah. that you walk around and it's in an exhibition space. There's this idea of nature and virtual worlds and real environments and people. Authorship. And authorship as yeah. well. Um, and so, what, what can you give us a bit more information about, you know, where, where are you heading with all this or... What sort of areas are you hoping to explore further? Um, I guess conceptually it feels like a lot of my work, well I'm realising as I'm like looking over it, even just talking to you, a lot of it seems to be almost around like the digital loneliness and that kind of thing. Digital loneliness? Yeah, well it's the feeling, feeling more and more alone in the crowd, if that makes sense, in the giant noisy crowd that is the internet that we spend most of our lives on. Um, yeah, and also... It's hard to avoid. It is hard to avoid. I also like, the idea of authorship, I think, is also interesting um, throughout it. Especially, I mean, you probably heard some conversations recently about selfies. Remember when selfies first became a thing, now they're just part of the course, but... Well, yeah, they are. Yeah. They've I, become normalised. They have become normalised, but there was quite a bit of a conservative or, like, old people backlash that first started. Um, but about self-indulgence and narcissism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do remember that. Yeah, um, but people have sort of just, just let that go now. But um, there was also some sort of sub-conversations that came up around that, around how women love selfies because it's the only time that they can, or it's one of the first times they could uh, communicate their own ideas of self, their own... Um, Take con control, control of their image? Yes, correct. So um, what's that about? Well, I guess, you know, historically with women, obviously, we've been beautiful objects and subjects to and paintings. To be admired and um, adorned. And, yes, yeah. yes. All that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, the... Um, so I understand, yes. Romanticised through, you know, dude artist size kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is a thing, historically. <laughs> yeah. Um, but not so much in these changing times because the so artist, as the author, yeah. is able to control that image. So... So I think yeah. that's an interesting conversation as well. Um, I think um, the sort of... So what do you think has happened over the last sort of 10, 5, 10 years in terms of, you know, do you, do you kind of, um, you know, does that resonate with you and your perspective? Um, it does. I mean, 
it's I think it's interesting how quickly our online selves became so normalized I mean it feels like Facebook's been with us for a thousand years or maybe it does for me as as a 30 year old maybe not so much for you I don't know but like <laughs> but I think you gave me a funny look then <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know it's Facebook only really came uh, only came out in about 2007 I think it did come to well in Australia it in sort of really hit the big time <coughs> 2007 yeah which is just over 10 years ago but yeah, but it is kind of, it's so it does, embedded. Yeah, it does feel like, you know, it's the first thing you look at in the morning, it's the last thing you look at at night, all of the time, on your phone. Yeah, because you are a, a quite a prolific social media user. Am I? You told me. Oh, well. <laughs> well, I, I can see, I have evidence yeah, before my eyes. It's true. Um, I think also I'm getting um, more and more conservative with the kind of thing I put up, and I think a lot of people have been doing that too. I think it's interesting to see the shift between the kind of uh, the kind of content we like to post. I think at first people were quite open, almost like, you know the live journal and those kind of earlier precursors, MySpace and that kind of thing. People would put up anything. They'd put yeah, up all their dirty laundry, all that filtered. kind of stuff. There, it's, everything's very, very filtered now, especially with, um, I guess, some of the, the real-world repercussions that's come from some yeah. scenarios where they haven't filtered it. Um, yeah, well, I guess that's personal data, personal information, and sometimes that can be used for used against you. Exactly, um, and also I think we're becoming more and more aware of the the, the kinds ducks, the, the <laughs> ducks over there that are making an awful rap. <coughs> also, the kinds of eyes that it's like an announcement. Yeah, that that might see your stuff though. I mean, do you find that students always want to they always want to add you? I get that as well. Oh yeah, well yeah. I have I do add students. I I have a rule that only after. After, kind of left that's or, what I say, yeah, I'm like, I'll allow it when I'm done teaching you, kind of thing. Yeah, it is, a, I guess it is a potentially awkward dynamic, because I guess one's private self, one's inner self. Yeah. One's kind of how you interact in the world, what sort of information do you share or not share. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I've kind of, because I was, as they say, a grown-up when, <laughs> when Facebook came around, mm. or all of that social media... I kind of put limits on what I shared anyway. Yeah. However, I don't know, I guess it's kind of, everyone would be quite individual with the way that they approach this. And I mean, sometimes you might pass judgment. I find I pass judgment thinking, oh no, that's too much information or that's not an appropriate type of yeah, information. Yeah, sometimes I find that too and I'm interacting with. But then I think maybe I'm just being conservative or maybe, mm. I don't know. I guess it's kind of, in a, I guess with a teacher, I find, because I'm often in a role where I'm kind of sharing information like something's happening that my students or other people might benefit from, mm. that's not necessarily about me, I'm just a conduit. So I kind of pump out stuff or, or kind of forward stuff mm. of that nature. Mm. But then I guess it's kind of, um, if it's personal data or, you know, where I am or what I'm doing, I guess it gets back to what you were saying earlier about that curation process and the, and the image that one pre likes to present to the world. Yeah, and I find it, I guess, interesting to keep looking at what, what it is we do want to share with people, like, what do we think, what well, elements of ourselves do we think are the most most beautiful, most interesting, most, most shareable, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I have realised, or, you know, that it's kind of probably my more, as they say in the classics, my most insta-worthy yeah. <laughs> photos are actually when I was in my 20s or 30s 
And I mean, Do you get a lot of likes on those ones? Because I don't have as much hair as I used to have, <laughs> but my, my face is kind of reasonably recognisable. I look the same, mm. but I'm just older. Um, I always get a lot of likes with um, sharing photos of when I'm, you know, 20 years younger. Or, the beautiful or long curly hair. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for noticing, Grace. Did you give that a like? I did give it a like. <laughs> and so I guess it kind of brings up the whole idea of online personas and mm. who who are you or who am I or yeah. who is anyone. Yeah, and I guess um, I feel like the, our online personas are feeding back into our real selves in terms of... Well, we get acknowledged when we yeah. put something up. Yeah, but also like I think um, that sort of interesting, strange phenomenon of like, you know, Instagrammable food, Instagrammable places, like we're going out of our way to get this silly ice cream before it doesn't taste very good. So we can take a photo, what so we can put it on Instagram, so we can people show people our fabulous lives where yeah. we don't even care about, like, do you know what I mean? Like we're spending more time, more and more time going out of our way to create this vision of excitement where, yeah, we're actually quite boring and quite lonely and like the process to pick up that Instagram ice cream meant waiting outside a boring Surrey Hill Street for 45 minutes in the line and, do you know what I mean? Like we're only, I think the, the boring stuff that surrounds the glamour shot is sort of interesting to focus on instead, like a behind the scenes of our curated fabulous lives. <laughs> so as just as you were outlining that, um, there must be a, is there a hospital near here or there's all these choppers going over as yeah, well? Yeah, possibly, there probably is, I mean, regularly. Um, or maybe there's an airport, Bankstown Airport or something? No. Maybe. Anyway. Yeah. Um, as, just as you were talking, I had on this side all these teenagers rolling their eyes. Yeah. And then on this side, all these kind of older people rolling their eyes, thinking, "What? I don't understand what you're actually talking about. And so, what for those people, say older people, mm -hmm. what can you kind of just summarise? What do, what do people do? Like, you know, just generally about this ice cream, taking photos of ice creams. People go out of their way. Out of their way to to you know, spend all day sometimes to get uh, a beautiful fake photo of our beautiful fake lives, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So, a, and a tangible example of that might be if might they go to a trendy ice cream yeah. joint parlour and take a photo. So I guess the question is, from these older audiences or mm. maybe more conservative or people that don't use Instagram or Facebook and don't know, why, why are people doing that? Why, why are they wanting to behave that way? I guess um, there's always been a desire to sort of project a, a better version of yourselves to others. Um, I'm trying to think, what did people do before social media? How did we do that before, I guess? Well, I guess people have always You'd have been a known flashy to brag watch, or kind of, yeah, flashy watch. Have a nice handbag. Um, yeah, a way to kind of let everyone know they're special. Unsuccessful and special, yeah. Unsuccessful or I'm with it. I know, yeah, I have good taste um, and that kind of stuff. We probably... Here's the evidence. Yeah, I, I mean... I into... Um, <laughs> I can't think of... A location. I checked, I into, checked into Louis Vuitton Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess designer wear is still also as popular as ever. Um, also very good Instagram fodder. Um, I know a lot of influencers like to take photos of their collections of expensive stuff. That's also interesting, you know, like... Okay, again, for these older audiences that don't use Instagram, what... What's an influencer? Oh, an, an influencer is a, a new term for um, uh, people on social media who have a lot of followers. 
they're called influencers because say say they're the first person to check into that ice cream place so many people follow them that they also will, will see that photo I like if they're and the they might copy them whatever that one was that we can't think of the name of four square yeah Foursquare. yeah they're the first person to check in so they're like a kind of um leading the pack yeah yeah i guess so um they, that's why they they've been dubbed influencers um and this is not just a kind of like a a kind of artistic um commentary these are kind of these influencers earn money don't they well eventually um theoretically Whoa. from sponsorships um yeah because eventually if they do have enough followers someone's gonna send them some shoes to wear for free kind of so so they do start trending because they're starting trends i guess is why they're called influencers so i mean they're all um i mean i've sort of uh, touch on some of that territory mm. and engage with it but I mean what about the on this side of the equation these younger people that it's so normalized mm. that they just are doing it they don't actually pause to reflect or question is it actually a good thing or a bad thing like what sort yeah. of ideas are floating around for them do you think yeah well I guess it is such a normalized neutral thing now um, I mean I guess for me in my practice, I do try and look at it in a more like I'm interested way. Like it's just an interesting phenomenon as opposed to say like passing judgment on having it be a good thing or a bad thing. It just it just is and it just is interesting. Oh, yeah. you know what I mean? So you I think a lot of you're inspired by it or how yeah, would you phrase it? I'm inspired by like watching this new um, this new way we lead our lives, uh, how it's emerging. You know, it's a um, I think it's interesting because it's the first time in history we've started to live this way and well yeah it is so more and more are like we can only assume unless there's a, some sort of parallel universe where yeah, this has occurred yeah um so i think it's it's interesting to to make work about that and to look at it um because it's such a new thing and it's the first time it's ever happened and all that stuff um so one, yeah. of, the, one of the things i was reading when i was um looking at your website mm -hmm. uh i think it was in reference to one of your earlier artworks maybe the Finland yeah work, the moss stencils it was this idea of a tweet if a tweet falls in the forest and no one's there to read it <laughs> did it ever really fall yeah. so I really am taken by the it's it's such a highly philo philosophical um, <laughs> kind of but yet playful uh, uh, sentence yeah or you know idea yeah Can you talk more about that I guess um, I was thinking about that idea of um, how we're in quite a, you know, online spaces are quite noisy these days in terms of, say, like, crowded with tweets, photos, things, everyone's trying to vie for attention, everyone's, uh, more and more as well, people are trying to, like, game the algorithm of Facebook kind of thing and get, get their posts. The algorithms are in this book about the quarterly essay. Oh, yeah. About right. algorithms and how... The, the kind of limitations of algorithms or the kind of um, where they might lead yes, where they're leading humanity us. even. Yeah, um, especially considering they, you know, the algorithms program the content we see, so um, they're their own little potentially propaganda making things. <laughs> yeah, so what, what, how, how do you see, um, you know, into the future? Are you working mm. on anything in particular or have you got some ideas happening that you would like to explore further in your, yeah, well, your future work? Um, well, earlier Mark and I were filming for a show I'm doing in May at Peacock Gallery. Um, we're filming at the Auburn Botanical Gardens in the Japanese garden section. So this work that's coming up, um, I'm trying to sort of explode out these the little objects I was making. So before 
um, with the mossy pillows. I was trying to make um, uh, a vision of, or well, my version of nature in like one small contained object um, with the, the curated sound, the curated image, and the curated feel. I'm trying to make it a, a big version of that for this next show. So I'm going to do three large mossies that you can sit on, sort of beanbaggy things. Um, get the sound in a sort of, um, oh sorry, three, three big mossies surrounded by, say, like a tent type thing. Do a sort of 5.1 sound setup around it um, and project on top of it as well. And also do use gels and lights that are on a timer to do like a sort of a fake day cycle. So are you? like a sunset, sunrise sort of thing with the lights above you above the projection as well, so it's I like guess I'm trying to make um, make my sort of curated version of nature, curated version of the environment, but like um, in a immersive. In a immersive space that people can actually sit in, as opposed to like having to lift a tiny object up to the ear, they're sort of well, they're stuck in it. it. They're in it, oh yeah. Oh my god, yeah. what are people going to do? They, yeah. they well, won't know what's real. Well, exactly. <laughs> um, and I hope they, they find that interesting as well. Um, to sort of, I like the idea of them maybe being in the photo, in the in the beautiful Instagram photo themselves, experiencing that um, sort of hyper real version of nature, sanitized, beautified, all that kind of thing. <laughs> in this episode, I chatted with Grace Kingston, a multidisciplinary artist from Sydney, Australia. You can find out more about Grace at her website gracekingston.com You can find this link as well as other information about this episode in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville. <laughs>